Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within, and like the phoenix, enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Rhonda Powell, a leading attorney in the media landscape. Facing her mortality, not once, but twice after the birth of her last child, she learned how to live with a deeper focus on what is truly important. This invaluable lesson continues to inform her personally and professionally. Please welcome Rhonda Powell. Welcome, Rhonda, to Phoenix Tales. I always start the conversation off by asking one question, and that question is, has there been an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging that might have redirected the course of your life? Definitely, definitely so. Back in 2003, when I had my youngest child, I had two sort of major health crises that almost resulted in me not being here anymore. And I really do believe that that experience changed the way that I viewed my life, changed the way that I viewed my family, and changed the way that I move forward in the world. Can you tell us what the health crises were? Sure. When I had my youngest, I had a condition that was diagnosed fairly early on called placenta accreta. That's a condition where the placenta adheres to the side of your uterus and almost grows, can grow into it and become entangled. The issue there is that when your child is born, often there can be a rupture. So they watch you very closely if you have that condition, which they did with me. I was in the hospital for a long time before even having my son so that they could monitor me on a daily basis. Even with all of that monitoring, when it came time for him to be born, I had severe hemorrhaging. So that was the first crisis. The ABLE physicians at New York Presbyterian saved me. And uh, after a couple of additional weeks in the hospital, I went home. And then after being home for only about a week, I developed a pulmonary embolism, which then almost killed me (laughs) as well. So it was a lot going on in a very, very short period of time. And for me, it just really crystallized the things and the people that are really important to you and to really find your North Star and make sure that you keep yourself walking toward it. It doesn't mean that you don't have detours from time to time. It doesn't mean that other things may sort of come in and out of your life from time to time. But Keep yourself focused on the things that really matter to you and that you really value and care about. So was the pulmonary embolism related to the fact that you had had such heavy hemorrhaging? It was. It was related to the fact that I had so much bed rest and then had a major surgery. And even though following the surgery, they did do a lot to get me active because when you have major surgery, pulmonary embolism or blood clots in general are not an infrequent risk. 
So they definitely had me moving around and they had things on my legs that helped with circulation. But I had been on bed rest at the time my son was born for about four and a half to five months already. And then another two weeks after he was born, that's a lot of time to be prone. So I don't think it was a shock so much that this happened, just an unfortunate event and a risk. So for women who've had gone through childbirth and then having an infant, and you said he was your last child, so I'm assuming you have a few others, right? Yes, I have two others. So at the time my youngest, Zachary, was born, I also had a set of two and a half year old twins. Oh my God. Okay. So I'm starting <laughs> to get a little panicky here listening to you. I could barely handle one and um, nearly lost everything after my child was born. So can you go back to coming out of the hospital and having had this incredibly traumatic experience of what's supposed to be a life affirming and wonderful thing in one's life, right? Having a child bring a life into this world and then coming home and having to actually nurture and take care of the child when in essence, you really should have been taking care of yourself first. After coming home, after having Zachary and coming home, I definitely went through a period of just real darkness and despair. I mean, I was happy for him, I was happy that I survived. I was happy that I was back to my two and a half year old twins as well. But I felt like a failure, to be quite honest. I think that we are acculturated as women to believe that the process of childbirth and child rearing is something that's just innately natural and you just wake up one morning and you do it. There aren't going to be any issues, right? Everything should just be smooth. So when you have these types of crises, I think it's easy to have this feeling of, wow, everybody else is doing this well and I'm doing it with the maximum amount of drama. And why is that? You know, at the same time, I definitely felt like, well, there was time to be made up for with the twins because I really hadn't been around them for about five months by the time I got home. And I think I just pushed and propelled myself forward, maybe harder than I should have at that time, because I really did feel like I had something to prove. I had something to make up for. I couldn't just come home and lie down. I also felt that my husband had been really alone for the most part for five months, even though his mother had come up and stayed. I still felt like I'd left him alone with the twins when he was just sort of floundering about, although that wasn't the case. I think that psychologically, that's where I was and felt that I had a lot to prove, not just to myself, but to everyone else that I could do this. And maybe essentially that I could do everything, right? I was a career woman and was plotting my way back. How quickly am I going to get back to the office? What am I going to do when I get there? It was a very highly pressured time of my life. But at some point, I think when Zach was about maybe three or four months old, I said to myself, well, you've made it. He's made it. The twins look no worse for wear. You really need to get yourself together, take an inward look and figure out where you want to go from here. What's important to you? You brought up a really interesting point. I thought about this a lot, actually, after having my son, 
What I found so disconcerting and also dismaying was the level of pressure we felt as women. And the pressure was coming not from men per se, but other women, right? Right. There are all these weird social do's and don'ts that women were imposing upon other women. And I think that that adds to this cultural pressure for all women to believe that motherhood is this natural thing when in fact childbirthing is not any more advanced than it's been in the last 50 years. And that there's so many risks for women when they give birth, unforeseen or foreseen. In your case, it was foreseen and still unforeseen things happened. So were you able to kind of intellectualize that understanding of why you're putting this pressure on yourself? I don't know that I intellectualized it as much as I just got tired of it. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Right? I just got tired of it. So when you got tired of it, The question that I really want to know is when you said you were in that dark place, do you think you had some serious postpartum or was it just the trauma of what you experienced from the five months being in bed and then the extreme health crisis after the birth? I think it was the trauma more than it was postpartum. It was such a jolt and I felt like I didn't really have time to process it because I was very much on to the next thing. The surgery went to the left, but you're here. So let's go on to the next thing. The pulmonary embolism, but you're still here. So let's go on to the next thing. And at a certain point, I had to say to myself, okay, let's stop trying to go on to the next thing. Let's sort of stand where we are because it's exhausting. You're not quite sure what you're doing in those days except moving. And sometimes the thing to do is to just stand still and give yourself that moment to figure out what's next for you and what matters and why. And so that really did work for me. I was home with Zachary for about six months before going back to work. I went back on a reduced schedule for a while Having the balance, though, of being able to also spend more time with the kids and more time with my husband was a nice balance for a while. And then, you know, eventually I returned to working full time. I'm always trying to get to the essence of how some people survive really incredibly challenging events and others may not. Was there a moment during those first few months out of the hospital with a newborn and your twins where you just thought, I know you're an incredibly capable person, but to have that moment of reckoning where you think to yourself, I really don't know if I can do this. Did you ever have those moments with yourself? That's interesting. I did not have the, I don't know if I can do this moment, but I think it's because I nearly didn't. And I think my perspective was, well, if you are still here, there's a reason. I never really felt in a place of, I can't do this because I felt like I was so privileged to have opened my eyes and to actually be standing there in situations where I knew that other women would not be. For all our alleged sophistication, the maternal mortality rate in the United States is atrocious. And especially in the African-American culture, I mean, community, right? Absolutely. You know, I think that's the reason why I never had the feeling about whether or not I could do it. 
for me, this overwhelming sense of obligation that you opened your eyes today. You almost died twice in three and a half weeks and you're just privileged to be here. Sometimes when you go through something really, really life altering as you had experienced, sometimes there's a delayed kind of realization or a delayed response where the totality and the breadth of what you went through finally hits you. So I'm wondering, did that happen for you later down the road? The kids are like four and five and all of a sudden you had a moment and you thought, oh my God, I nearly died twice and I don't know how I survived. You know what I mean? Like that moment of the realization that you just went through something so horrific, not once, but twice. Absolutely. Multiple times. I would just have these crashing moments of just what actually happened? I think for a long time I was in shock. And then I would have these moments, usually late at night, I would just say, oh my gosh, you know, I'm here. I shouldn't be. I don't know how I'm here. How did I wind up being here? I had those moments. I went out and uh, got myself a butterfly tattoo. Oh, wonderful. I have one too. (laughs) I started thinking, well, it can't really get much dimmer than that. So what are you rising toward? What are you moving toward? And also this sense of not delaying things. If I want to do something, if something's important to me, doing it right then, if at all possible, and not not allowing things to fall by the wayside and not allowing people to fall by the wayside. What that's resulted in on the positive is I've always been a fairly driven person from a career perspective. I've been propelled in my career by that sense of urgency, not immediacy, but urgency. I've also been propelled in my personal life by that same sense of urgency and intention and making sure that I hold my friends close and that I hold my family close and that people understand and know how I feel about them and what I feel about them. It's all driving from that series of events. The one thing it's resulted in, though, that's not necessarily the most positive thing for me is a real sense of exhaustion sometimes. I run really hard. Right. I was going to ask because you said you're a high achiever. I mean, I get it. And so then the flip side of you wanting to be present and intentional with everything in your life is that you probably drive yourself pretty hard has that experience of almost losing your life once but twice, has it taught you in this moment now, like many years down the road and understanding your proclivities to want to be and do for everyone around you, which I think is a very female instinct. I think many of us suffer from this perfectionist syndrome, or I call it perfectionist disease, that you now understand the lens of the past, I don't know how many years, that your self-care is also really important? And have you started to come to understand that in a more profound way and to make changes toward that? Absolutely. I would say particularly in the last five years, I'm increasingly aware, not just of the importance of self-care, but the importance of self-care at this point in my life. I'll be 55 in November. And it is a different place for me physically. It's a different place for me mentally. And so the need to check in with oneself 
and make sure that I'm not allowing myself to be driven by things other than what I want to be driven by is really important. It's been a very, very busy time. So have you learned the art of saying no? (laughs) I've learned the art of saying no. I learned the art of saying not now. I've learned the art of perhaps taking a pass on things that people would say, oh my gosh, why would you not do that? Or why would you not want that? Grounding myself in knowing that I've got my own sets of priorities. I've got my own sets of interests. I've got my own set of intentions and following those. I think that's also part of betting on yourself, believing that you know innately what's going to really fill you and what's really going to enhance your life more than anyone else can. And you need to Be confident in relying on your own judgment about what you need, who you are, and what you can do. And do you think that sense of certainty within yourself is a result of what you went through or was already there? I think it was enhanced by what I went through. I think it was always there. I think back to myself as a young child and as a young adult, and I always had this very clear sense of my own process my own conclusions, and just taking the road that I felt I should take, whatever that was, and feeling comfortable that regardless of the outcome, it was going to be an outcome that I could handle, that I could work through, and that it would be fine. That's something that I've really tried to develop in my children because it's really a gift to have that. If you really trust that you are going to be okay, and if you really trust that you can actually make decisions for yourself, that although the outcome may not be exactly what you envisioned, that you'll be able to work yourself toward what you envisioned and get there eventually, that's really important. Like having the self-confidence and the trust that no one's going to know what's best for you better than you. You know, that brings up in really, because I was thinking about this as you were describing your process of sort of the reckoning when you had those moments. One of the things that I thought about, how did it change you as a mother? Like, did it make you more fearful or did it make you fearless, right? Like you already faced down death's door. So what else is there to be scared of, right? Like bring it. So how did you find that it changed you as a mother? I think it made me just value time even more than I previously had. It made me want to use every moment with my kids to enrich their lives in some way. I wanted it to really be about us bonding with one another, not necessarily about doing something, but about being together and being with someone and sharing with them and them having their mother's presence and knowing their mother's voice and understanding their mother's perspective on things. I think that that experience because I, in the back of my mind, I always thought we've had two near-death experiences already. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year. 
And so let's make sure that you're pouring everything into these kids that you can pour in so that they know their mom. This might seem like a loaded question just as a mother, like, you know, going through it myself. Were there moments when you did so much of that, you know, sharing of oneself and more importantly, the sharing of one's precious time with them? Was there ever a moment where they started to not appreciate or respond to what it was that you were trying to create? Not so much or not in a way that I would not expect when they got into their preteens and teens, right? I definitely, particularly with my daughter, there was the, okay, you can back off now. And, you know, that's the expectation. So there was nothing that was surprising. What's been the most surprising to me is actually the inverse of that is how connected the kids remain now as young adults to me and my husband. Sometimes I speak to other people and they say, oh, I haven't heard from my child in weeks or whatever. And we really do hear from them quite a bit. If there's anything that I am really excited about, it's the fact that my kids are really, really comfortable with me and they feel like they can say anything to me without feeling judgment, without fear. That's what I've always tried to cultivate with them and that their mom, yes, is their mom. And it doesn't mean that I'm not from time to time giving direction, very, giving very, very clear direction, but I'm also a lifelong companion for them wherever they go and whatever they do. Mom's always here as long as she's on this earth. And even if she's not, mom's always here. I want to just change tack a little bit. I think you're trying to describe an essence of something. So I'm going to, and this is like one of my favorite topics, which is this notion of faith. And it has nothing to do with religion, but it is this just complete acceptance and understanding that there is something greater than yourself. And in those moments of darkness or unanswerable moments that you have to rely on faith. Otherwise you could end up in complete despair, hopelessness, right? And you can have moments and vastly between the two. So do you feel as though, you know, when you came through both those experiences that you had a more concrete understanding of faith or was the understanding or your understanding of your own faith or whatever it is you believe only got strengthened over time? I definitely have always been a person of faith. I've always believed that my life is guided by something beyond just me. As much of a control freak as I am, there are things that have happened from the time that I was quite young that I've always felt, well, Someone or something ordered that. It wasn't just me. I maybe made good on the opportunity or maybe took advantage of something that was placed in front of me or at least didn't squander an opportunity. But I didn't create the opportunity. And so I've always believed there are workings in the universe that if you allow yourself to be open to the fact that the universe is working around you, will allow for things to pour into you or be put in front of you that you can then utilize or optimize 
but it's not just you. That's actually a great feeling and a comfort to me because if you leave yourself in a place where everything is just about what you do and nothing is is a matter of faith or universe, I think life becomes much more difficult and challenging and onerous and fraught. So as a control freak, I'm very, very thankful for my faith and for, and for the universe because it actually frees me from the constant sort of ringing in my ear that you need to do, you need to do, you need to do, you need to do. Sometimes I say, hmm, maybe that's not for me to do. Let me open myself up to the universe and to my faith and ask for guidance and ask for order and ask for things to be presented to me in a way that I'll understand it. As somebody who thinks about faith a lot, when those two experiences occurred, did you ever have a moment where you questioned the faith? A friend of mine just passed away battling cancer for five and a half years. And I used to wonder, and I never asked her as close as we were, but I used to wonder if she had those moments where, you know, that sort of wailing inside of why me? Why did this have to happen to me? I never asked her because I always just watched her from the distance of the amount of grace that she navigated this journey of just extreme, I can't even begin to describe the things that she experienced and that I witnessed, but the grace with which she did it. So did you have those moments as well, like where you have that moment of like on your knees, why me, why me, why did this have to happen to me? I suppose that I've had that moment maybe around different things. I never had that moment around the kids. I think that maybe I didn't have that moment because I was so just focused on the opportunity to have them at all that I didn't think about the challenges associated with having them. I think part of it is also displacement. All three of my kids have some level of learning disability from extremely mild to what I'd say, you know, sort of mild to moderate. And I think I spent more time thinking about why them than why me, because the challenge of having a learning disability and trying to wend your way through school systems that still today aren't necessarily built for that. It made me feel very, maybe not quite angry, but very frustrated and upset for them. But then on the flip side, I thought, well, if someone's going to have children that have learning disabilities, I'm glad it's me because I'm in a position to give the additional support. I'm in a position to sort of hold their hands through this. My sister is autistic. I understand this in a way that other parents who have children with learning disabilities might not understand sort of off the bat immediately. And so maybe it's not about the frustration for them. Maybe it's about how fortunate I am and how fortunate they are that they are in a family and in a situation with parents who really 
can support them and get them through this to whatever it is they want to do. And that's what we've done. As much of a cynic as I am, when it comes to my own sort of life, I'm definitely a very much a glass half full person. So when you have those moments of why them, does that really test your faith? It doesn't test my faith in the way that maybe one would think. I think it tests me. I think it tests whether or not I am willing and really given over to the idea of a universe that is ordered beyond you. I am given to the idea that there's a universe that's ordered beyond you. And I think that I have the kids I have because I was supposed to have the kids I have. Just as I feel like I had the life intervention that I had because I needed to have that. It meant something to how I was going to live my life in the future. Did you see that moment as a gift almost at this point? Yeah, because I'm not who I am today without that experience. And would you be a different mom without that experience? Totally different mom. Even with the kids that you have? Even with the kids that I have. That's beautiful. So I want to just tell you that my husband, who, whom you know, <laughs> and I would always joke that God only gives to those what they can handle. And the joke was, because our son was such an easy child growing up, not so much now, was that we were clearly two people not capable of handling a great deal of anything, right? Because, because we had this very affable, easy child who is not affable and easy now, but that was just sort of the running joke between the two of us. So I think it's really beautiful what you're describing. And I love the idea that when you do cry to God and us or whoever, the question of why it's not about you, but it's about for them. So we're getting towards the end of the last question. The last question, well, not the last question, but one of the other questions I wanted to ask, and we can touch on it briefly because I feel like you and I could probably have a conversation for another two hours, is how did that moment redirect your approach to your career? In so many ways. I mean, when you're forced to step away, initially when I got put on bed rest with Zachary, I was working from my hospital bed at New York Presbyterian. I had a whole setup. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I was just continuing uninterrupted. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's so funny. It was hilarious. I mean, when I think back, I'm like, are you serious? Then afterward, I really did have to just stop and reassess. I never lost sight of ultimately what I wanted out of my career, but I consciously changed my timeline and said, there is no particular benefit to doing this faster rather than slower. Is it important for you to have done all of this at 40 as opposed to at 50? Does that matter? Why does it matter if you think it matters? I really had a conversation with myself and I said to myself, we're going to take the time we need. We're going to try and balance out life a bit and we're going to see where that takes us. That's a great place to end. So Rhonda, the very last question I always ask is, 
is there a song that resonates with you or speaks to you or somehow feels as though the songwriter had written for you or about you? There's so many songs that resonate for me. Right now, there are two that I actually flip back and forth and play. Maybe it's just about the moment that we're in right now as well. But I listen to Beyonce's Freedom a lot. I feel like it's a song that propels you forward. So I listen to that quite a bit. And I also listen to Nina Simone, Feeling Good, quite a lot. And what does that song mean to you? What's your interpretation of it? My interpretation of it is that you can see the beauty and the joy regardless of your immediate surroundings. In that song, to me, a lot of the things she's singing about don't actually exist in her vision at that moment, but she can visualize them and that's enough to move her forward. Thank you so much, Rhonda. I wish I had more time to talk and perhaps I can lure you back at some other point. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they go ask me why I do it. I'm going to say this because we going to be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that could have, should have, would have.